brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I'm John Glover. I was Lionel Luther on Smallville, and I will always, always hold on to Smallville. And I hope you all do too. Always hold on to Smallville. In this podcast, we talk about each and every episode of the Young Superman show that ran from 2001 to 2011 on the WB slash the CW. I'm your host, Zach Moore, and this week I'm joined by my friend... Mike Krause. Hello, hello, hello. What's up, Mike? Good to have you back, man. Thank you for having me, as always. It's been a while. I think it's been season one was the last time you were on the show, so I think things have changed a little bit since you've been gone. They... <laughs> They have. Whitney is no longer with us, unfortunately. Yeah, but, you know, uh, no offense to Eric Johnson, but I think we traded up. John Glover's great to have as a main cast member. And uh, uh, he gets definitely. a lot of good stuff in this episode, too. So, yeah. So we're talking about Red this week on Always Hold on the Small Bowl. Red Kryptonite, Cross. What's your take on Red Kryptonite? I like it. I like the story opportunities it presents. Uh, granted, it did get a little bit run into the ground later on in uh, Smallville's. Uh, history, but um, I, I I think I, I really enjoyed, this, especially this first episode. And I enjoy the story opportunity for a bad Clark. Yeah, I think you know Tom Welling plays the villain better than he plays the hero. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I just whenever he has the opportunity to to kind of break out of the whole you know Clark Kent mold, he does a great job. Like here later on in the show, he plays you know Bizarro, he plays Clark Luther, he plays Lionel Luther as Clark. Spoiler, spoiler, spoilers, but. <laughs> <laughs> But 
he does great in all those uh, parts, and, and it really comes to shine here. This was his first opportunity. We've gotten to see a lot of other characters act out of character up till now, and this is the first time we see get to see Clark do it. And and he, you know, I I can see why you know he would really enjoy it too because he's oh, finally get to do something different. Clark Kent, you know, he's pretty straightforward, and that's look, that's what we like about Superman. You know, Kraus and I, you, you know, we're, we're Superman fans first and foremost. Uh, and people criticize Superman, like, oh, he's boring, he's two-dimensional, he's a Boy Scout. No, but that's what I like about him, you know? I mean, he is yeah. he is what he is, you know? He's what we should strive to be, so uh, take note, Zack Snyder. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it's great, and this is, our, this is the first time we see it in Smallville, and probably the best time we see it, because as you alluded to, they do, it does wear out its welcome uh, on the show, but uh, this is the first time it's fresh, and they do a great job with it. Now, this episode read uh, lots of lots of things we could say about it here because if you have Smallville on DVD and I hope you do, there are two commentary tracks: one with Al Goff, Miles Millar, and Jeff Loeb. So that's a you know behind the scenes kind of track. You know, with the they're the creators, executive producers of the show, and Jeff Loeb wrote this episode. So that's that's commentary track number one. Commentary track number two is director and executive producer Greg Beeman with. Tom Welling, Michael Rosenbaum, and Kristen Kriuk, right? <laughs> There's a little different vibe going on in that commentary than the other I one. I can imagine. <laughs> so so as, as things come up here, so I watched them both. So I, I watched this episode several times for this podcast. So I'm going to try to balance all my thoughts here and, and, you know, our usual back and forth notes. So I'm overly prepared for, for, for this one. And, uh, uh, no, no, it was fun, though. You know, I I, I, uh, I wish that, and I understand why. Look, it takes, you got to get these actors in a room. You got to record an episode. You got to have a conversation. You got to have good things to say. Um, hey, I mean, I do a podcast on a weekly basis. I I kind of know the routine, right? But um, I get why they don't have commentaries on every episode. But you think they really could, right? Like if they wanted to, because you know, like the somebody on the staff, like a writer, a producer, they could get at least one person or two people to talk about every episode on on a DVD. And I feel like you know, in order to you know, because let's let's tie it all together here with current events, Krauss, uh, Smallville. It's on Hulu now, right? Woo! So people can go check it out on Hulu, and it's streaming. But you know, you don't have these special features that you get with with DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff. Like, like how many like DVDs and Blu-rays do you buy, like on a regular basis? Do you still get physical media or? I I'd still probably buy about ten a year Blu-ray. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> not okay. much. That's, that's, well, you know, that's that's a lot more than most people, I'd say. Uh, and I'm the same way. I'm very selective, but the stuff that pushes me over the edge to make to buy stuff is is special features. Yes, because you can't get that through you know Redbox or Netflix or Hulu or whatever. And that's what we're talking about here. Like, so yeah, it's great. I'm I'm really happy Smallville's on Hulu. It's gonna open up a brand new audience for people, uh, for the show and hopefully for the podcast here. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and but but you, but you don't get all these these you know deleted scenes and commentaries and stuff like that. And that's what's cool about actually owning the physical uh, physical media. So so just lots of insight in the show. There we'll be sprinkling on through the episode here. On the WB's new Tuesday, a startling transformation. Anybody else? Brings out the dark side of a hero. Is this um, all new Clark Kent? Do you like him? Desire is unleashed. Clark Kent likes Luther. I like the sound of that. An identity twisted. My abilities? I can make millions. A trust betrayed. An all new Smallville. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. 
Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Red is the fourth episode of Smallville's second season. It aired on October 15th, 2002. It was written by Jeff Loeb and directed by Jeff Woolnow. So we got two Jeffs, writer and director. Uh, so Jeff Woolnow, I'll say this, you know, the first thing I'll say about the commentaries here is on the uh, on the Al Goff and Miles Millar commentary and Jeff Loeb, uh, they, they everybody kind of throws some shade at the director here. <laughs> so apparently really? they, they weren't that big a fan. Like, I mean, they were very professional about it. <laughs> they uh, they were like, yeah, this could have been blocked better. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> they were just making fun of stuff. And I thought, oh, so I, so I looked it up. And uh, yeah, Jeff Woolnow did not direct any more episodes of Smallville. And so now I guess I know why. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't the biggest oh. fan. And by the way, listening to these commentaries makes you feel a lot better about doing these podcasts because, like, oh. they're, they're laughing about stuff and making fun of stuff, and they're very self-aware, you especially know, the one with Al Goff and Miles Millar because, I mean, they created the show. The writers on the show, you know, and that, they actually follow us on Twitter. So, you know, and we interacted with them a little bit, so we're, we're working that angle, right? <laughs> but uh, whoop, whoop. I know, right? So it's like, ooh, I don't want to say anything too bad <laughs> because I do. I love this show, right? I wouldn't be doing the podcast if I didn't. But yeah, now I feel a lot better about kind of ripping it apart because they because <laughs> they seem to have a fun job making fun of things throughout their commentary. But uh, bringing that back all around, uh, they were the biggest fan of like the, the certain blocking and, you know, just the way things were were just constructed in this episode. You know, I'd have to agree with them. I didn't really think about it until they started talking about it. And once again, you guys, if you got the DVD at home, pop it in, listen to the commentaries and uh, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But uh I was like, yeah, you're right. That could have been better. But as they say, the, the performances carry it and the story carries it. So uh, so that's enough about Jeff Wool now. He's, he's never to be seen again. But let's talk Let's talk about Jeff Loeb for a second. Jeff Loeb is a prolific comic book author. And Absolutely. I, I'd say, gosh, he's, he's one of my favorite comic book writers. I mean, Jeff Johns is my favorite. Jeff Johns, another Jeff who spells his name um, <laughs> un- unorthodoxly, I should say. Because Jeff Loeb, J-E-P-H. Right, Jeff, yes. and then Jeff Johns, G E O F F. So Starbucks must love them both. <laughs> Have you seen those memes where it's like 
<laughs> Steven with a P. Like, if they go to Starbucks and, you, and your name's Steven, you say, I'm Steven with a P, and they put, like, P at the front. <laughs> yeah. Like, P. Oh, uh, yeah, but I'm sure, look, my name is Zach, and people spell my name wrong all the time, so I can really empathize with these guys. Sure. Because I'm sure they whole, their whole life, they told people, my name's Jeff. And it's like, okay, J-E-F-F, and that's all they got their whole lives, both of them. I mean, your name's Mike, but no one spells Mike with a C. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's But true. with Zach, you know, Z-A-C-H is how I spell my name. I've, I've seen Z-A-C-K. That's the most prominent one, right? Z-A-C-K. Even like when I send someone an email from my email with my name in it, with the H, <laughs> sign it with yeah. the H. They're like, hey, Zach, thanks for emailing me. It's like, no, it's not with a K. Z-A-C-K. I see Z-A-K. I see Z-A-C. Your boy Zach Snyder spells it with a K. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> The wrong way. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, man. I don't know any famous Zachs. Zach Mettenberger, the backup quarterback on the Titans. Does he spell it with an H? I don't know. <laughs> but I know like, <laughs> Zach Efron spells it with a C. Zach Snyder spells it with a ZK. Zach from the Power Rangers, I think, spelled it with a K. But it's all spelling aside, I love Jeff Loeb. And what are some of your favorite Jeff Loeb stories, Krauss? Oh, Long Halloween. Yeah. And I even like, I, I mean, I like some of his Smallville episodes, even though um, I know you don't really agree with them. Um, but I, I generally, I used to really like him back in the, in the 2000s, but you're not sold on him anymore? Well, no, not, not so much that. I just, uh, I don't know. Here's, here's my deal on Jeff Loeb. First of all, probably my favorite Jeff Loeb story, Superman for All Seasons. You know, great graphic novel. Yes. Really kind of inspired Smallville. They took a lot of inspiration from that. Uh, and, I, you know, I love his Batman stories and all. But there come, when you read enough Jeff Loeb stories, you uh, you realize that, you know what, I don't, I don't even, because he's famous for writing these mysteries, right? Like, The Long Halloween, Dark Victory, there's always a murder, and you're like, oh, who did it, and all that stuff. I don't think he even knows who murdered, who was the murderer. Like, who was Holiday? <laughs> Tell me, who is the Holiday Killer? <laughs> well, how much time do you have? <laughs> I, I defy you. I dare you that Jeff Loeb doesn't even know who the holiday killer is, you know? <laughs> that, that may be true. <laughs> so it's like, look, he writes a great yarn, a great mystery. But when it comes time to tie it all together, it kind of leaves it up to your interpretation, which is like, mm, is, uh, really? Which, you know, it makes perfect sense that he would go on to write for the TV show Lost. <laughs> <laughs> and Heroes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you know what? Uh Outside of Superman for all seasons, and again, one of my top comic book writers. I mean, I love all his DC stuff. I love all his Marvel stuff. You know, I'm more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy. But what I really like uh, from Jeff Loeb is all the Marvel color series, like Spider-Man Blue, Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray. He just came out with Captain America White, which had been in the works for a long time, so several years. So, you know, it was a huge get to get Jeff Loeb on the show, because not only did he write this episode, he came on to the staff of Smallville starting in season two. And he was a big part of a lot of their big episodes, uh for the next two or three seasons here. Let's just jump into the episode uh, here. As, and it starts, and they're getting their class ranks. Uh, Chloe, Pete, Clark. You know, I don't know about you, Krauss, but um, th- did you get a high school class rank? I, I did not. I did not. Especially not when I was a sophomore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, once again, things happen in high school in a certain order, okay? Uh, you go to prom when you're a senior. You get a class ringer, an upperclassman. Uh, these guys are sophomores. And, you know, I, I often criticize Smallville for being like, look, I, these guys must have remembered what it's like to be in high school, but forgot, like, when things happened. <laughs> but listening to the commentary, actually, they actually address this. Uh, I think oh, really? Yeah, Jeff Loeb brings it up. He's like, we know we want to do something with a class ring, and we want to do something like that, but we didn't know what year people got him in and stuff. And we called, they called the ring company, 
And the ring company said, yeah, we sell class rings to like freshmen. Like, oh, okay. Oh, well. yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course they said that. But yeah, these are like 40-year-old guys doing some research for a high school show. Uh, I'll give them credit. So at least at least they made the effort to call and ask. So they they pushed the buck onto the ring company? Yeah. Is that <laughs> Don't blame us. <laughs> I actually had a class ring myself, uh, mainly because of Smallville, mainly because of this episode, as I joke about. Uh, so, much, so, my, so many of my decisions in my young life... Uh, and, you know, I'm still in my young life and in my young, young life as a young man watching the show as it was on the air, uh, we're influenced by by Smallville. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have my, my school's colors were red. So I got my class ring, got a gold class ring, which a lot of people get uh, silver. I guess silver's more uh, in vote. Not, it's not silver. It's like it's like white gold, you know, but I always thought it was silver because, you know, you had gold, which is gold. And then you have, quote unquote, white gold, which is, you know, silver. Well, yeah, the, the Olympics kind of reinforce that silver is, I guess, the second best. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know. But it's just, I guess more people got silver. And I, 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 don't, I don't know what the freaking material is, right? <laughs> but it's, it's silver color, right? And most people got rings like that. I got a gold one because of Smallville. And, of course, I got the red stone in it, just like Smallville. I don't have it handy. Anyway, if if I can find it, look. Well, you know what? Red Kryptonite rings will be with us the rest of the season. So before season two is out, I will find my my high school class ring and show you guys uh, how it was inspired by Clark's. Did you uh, did you turn into a loose cannon when you turn put on your ring? Uh, you'll have to ask Lance. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did corner me in a cornfield with a sledgehammer, <laughs> but that's a story for another time. Uh, so so yeah, so they're all getting the class rings here, and and there is uh, there is conversation had about how. Jonathan didn't want Clark uh, to get the ring, so oh, that, that just sows the seeds for a little bit of conflict there. Clark's <laughs> he's already rebelling against his father buying this class ring, and it was what uh, three hundred dollars for a class ring, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, and Clark says, "Hey, it's my money. I can do with it what I want." I'm like, really? You you make money, Clark? I guess Jonathan's not quite the slave driver we were led to believe, Gross. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, they're they're a farming family. They can't be rolling in the dough. A little irresponsible of Clark, I, I, in my opinion. I would agree in his situation, certainly. Uh, so, you know, Chloe is always the skeptical one, skeptical one. She wonders if the rubies are even real. And then she makes note of that and goes on her way. And we're going to come back to that because um, it's not rubies. It's a red kryptonite. So Clark puts it on and, and we see like it's a cool special effect. We see his, his veins ripple red and he gets a little fire in his eyes, kind of like with heat vision. But it's like red to establish it's, it's gone through his system. And uh, he's he's now under the influence. So, and, and that's something. Did you did you get like the drug metaphor from this episode? I, I did. I definitely saw many uh, similarities to addiction, like maybe alcoholism, maybe. But you I, you didn't? Not really. I mean, I, I guess I can, I was coming for it. You know, once again, I'm like 15 watching this episode for the first time. Like, oh, cool red kryptonite. Ugh. So I'm coming from it with like the comic book point of view, and not quite like the. <laughs> The um, I don't know, teen drama point of view, like after school special, like like, and, and yeah. all, all credit to them, it didn't feel that way. It didn't feel like I was being preached no. to or anything. You know, uh, one of the writers of Smallville, uh, Ken Biller, had this to say, and once again, this quote, as you know, we're gonna get really confusing about where the trivia comes from today because I got commentaries I'm referencing. We got Smallville, the official companion, season two, but that's where this quote is from, the official companion. Ken Biller says. Quote, I love the idea that the ring becomes a metaphor for drugs. I think that Smallville is at its best when we find a metaphor for contemporary social problems within the mythology of the show. And he goes on to say, I said that if we were going to do this story, we had to embrace it. 
It has to spiral and escalate and get to the point where Clark is the villain of the story. I also felt very strongly that there shouldn't be a memory wipe. He should remember exactly what he did. He was indulging impulses that he wouldn't normally indulge, but the impulses were real. He was willing to indulge them because he was, quote, on drugs. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, the thing about the Red Kryptonite here is is it doesn't create, like, an alternate persona. Like, it just it, it, it removes all his inhibitions. Like, like you're saying, I'm like, yeah. like alcoholism. I, I can see it in retrospect now. I just I, I just wasn't in that headspace when I first watched the episode. So Which makes sense. You're younger. Yeah, man. I was young and young and naive. <laughs> <laughs> so, meanwhile, while all this is going on, there's a new girl at school, Jessie. Lana's showing her around. And this girl, uh, she looks... I don't know. How would you describe her, Krauss? How would you describe Jesse? Uh, uh, I'm gonna get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why I want you to describe her. <laughs> uh, she's dressed a little uh, risque and uh, not your typical, I hope, high school wardrobe. But at the same time, I, I thought it was uh, within the within the confines of taste. Tasty. Uh, no. No, not tasty. <laughs> see? Cut that out. You almost, you <laughs> almost, you almost got through it. Uh, see, this is something that Kristen Crick actually mentioned on the on the commentary. She says you can see her navel, which I just thought was a funny comment. <laughs> One of the few things that she said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, she didn't say a lot. So, so, so you you listen to the commentary as well to that one? Yeah, I didn't hear the other one. Okay, so you so you know the cast commentary. Good, good. So I'm glad you have a chance to listen to either commentaries. Yeah, she was really overpowered, I think, by... Well, you had Greg Beeman on there, who was just kind of geeking out most of the time. And, and to his credit, trying to keep them on track. Yeah. And then Rosabom was funny. as all, They could have just let Rosabom go the whole time, I they think, by himself. Yeah. He was great. And then Welling, you know, every now and then, he would actually chime in with something meaningful. And I was like, oh, it's actually insightful, Tom. But the other half of the time, he'd just be like, oh, what was going on? <laughs> <laughs> and so you'll notice that these are the only commentaries he does for the show on the season two set. They have the same group of people. They do uh, commentaries on Rosetta, the Christopher Reeve episode coming up. And that's it. Then Tom Welling just goes into his bunker that he goes into. <laughs> and is n- <laughs> never to be seen for interviews or anything like that during the making of Smallville. So all that to say that uh, Jesse is looking looking kind of risque. We're in like a midriff. One of the principals comes up to her and, and is like, excuse me, young lady, you must be new here. And uh, you're, you're in violation of dress code. And, and then Clark comes over to this guy and kind of talks him down, which which <laughs> which is hilarious because uh, Rosenbaum comments on this on the commentary. He's like, look, look at this guy. Look at this guy. He, he just stares at you. If I were him, I would have slapped you, man. Because <laughs> he's a, he's an assistant principal and this what sophomore, I, just because he has a class ring, right? He's a big man on campus. <laughs> but he's a sophomore, just comes up to me and just uh, talks me down. So this kind of, Set some sparks off between uh, Jesse and Clark, which we'll pick up on pick up on pick up on again later. So they walk off, and you know, Pete comes up to Clark. He's like, "Hey, what was that all about?" And Clark's like, "I don't know, but I like it." And I was I don't know about you, but I was expecting like the Smallville, like somebody save me, like smash cut to the opening credits. There, like it felt like such a natural time to go with the opening credits. There, huh? It, it did, but we had we had to go to an awkward <laughs> scene <Yeah>. first. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, and, and then interestingly enough, on one of these commentaries, and I forget which one was which, but they actually mention that they switched the order of these scenes. Initially, we were supposed to start in Metropolis. Oh, yeah. That and, was the cast one. Yeah. Yeah. It was, okay. It was a Greg, Greg Beeman must, must have Greg mentioned Beeman, it. Yeah. And that, that, I guess, would have made more sense. But then electrocuting the guy 
uh, still would have been like, what do you go from that and you cut to them getting their <laughs> yes. class ring? <laughs> Anticlimactic, yeah. But, but that, that doesn't remind me. Remember in the, the, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie where the uh, Green Goblin blows up that base and then it cuts to the uh, the graduation ceremony with the hats? Like if they did something <laughs> if they did something very creative like that, they probably could have pulled it off. But but uh, TV budget, probably not in the cards. But uh, so, yeah, right, and I like how like even in the cast commentary, Rosenbaum's like, where, where are we now? <laughs> Because it doesn't like where where is this place? And and literally on both commentaries, they both make fun of the fact that that there's this you know there's some guy in a in a hot tub and this you know uh, U.S. U.S. <laughs> Marshal yeah late at night middle of the night what's going on here? <laughs> the funny part is it's it's not even like they're showing a, a stadium or or a high school. They're showing like office buildings <laughs> late at night. We're, we're cutting to a guy in an ice bath. Like what? What? Yeah, it's like so. This guy, okay, is he in college? Is he, is he an athlete? Because he looks like he's in a locker room, right? But th- what they use is they just use their their standard city establishing shot. Which I was, you're at, it's, it's an office building. It's like where is this? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I can only assume is this guy is a, is an athlete, maybe in college. And uh, you know Jesse's his old girlfriend because the U.S. Marshal hit has a picture of of, of this guy and Jesse together. Like, oh, where is she? And he's not telling him. Uh, but then he pulls a gun on him. He's like, oh, oh, okay. All right, I'll tell you. So he's like, okay, thanks. But then, uh, you know, instead of, I don't know, shooting him or drowning him or turning up the heat on the hot tub or something, he slowly kind of rolls this boom box over. <laughs> he drops it in the hot tub and electrocutes him. And, you know, I thought it was ridiculous. And and that's that's what I'm saying. I feel I don't feel as bad about making fun of the show anymore because literally everyone else involved in the show thought it was ridiculous too. <laughs> Like, it's like, why, why don't you move or get out of the tub? I mean, he just slowly, deliberately pulls this cart over to the hot tub that has a boom box on it, throws it in there, electrocutes the guy, and he's dead. I guess to, you know, cover his tracks. But, um, you know, something they mentioned in the uh, Goff, Miller, and Loeb commentary is this scene was, was initially supposed to be something very different. It was, like, going to be in, like, a parking complex, like a parking garage, and, like, he was going to, like, push the guy off a bridge so it was a lot more dynamically planned, but you know, obviously, TV budget. That seems cheaper. That well, seems cheaper. Really? <laughs> well, I don't. It depends. Uh, when, if they just turn all the lights off in the Smallville High School locker room, they can film this scene, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. This is, we're not talking like the Dark Knight parking garage here, okay? We're talking <laughs> something in Canada. So then we finally get Giovin credits, and this guy gets electrocuted. And, and yes, that that still works as a cut to like you know the opening credits. So either of these would have worked. Now I kind of like, uh, just for my own purposes, I'm going to go re-edit the episode and see how it would feel cutting from this electrocution to ring day at Smallville High School. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back from the opening credits and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're back at Smallville High School and uh, everybody's outside. I guess this is classes over that day. They're all leaving and, and Clark uh, has this flyer for uh, the, the Wild Coyote, which is, you know, the, uh, the bar in Smallville. And he wants Pete to go I'm like, oh, man, they don't check IDs, bro. <laughs> It's like, I, like I don't know, man. You've been, you're what are you, fifteen years old? Like I was when I was fifteen, I wasn't looking to go to bars and stuff. Maybe I was just too, you know, uh, too square, cross. Yeah, well, you didn't have your ring yet. That's true. I didn't have my class ring because I was only a sophomore in high school. <laughs> it was just funny to see, you know, Clark immediately going out of character like that. Jesse overhears them talk because she's come to find Clark because you know he caught her eye earlier. She's like, "Oh yeah, that place is awesome. I go to her all the time. Here, if you go, let me give you my number." And she writes her number on his hand, which which I've never has a girl ever written their number on your hand, Krause? <laughs> no, no, no. 
Well, I guess we just live in a different age. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We also record Smallville podcasts. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if we if we spend more time with the wild coyote instead of sitting here late at night recording Smallville podcasts, maybe we get more of that. So so yeah, so they they kind of flirt a little bit, and uh, she walks off. And, and Pete Pete is great in this episode, by the way. Pete just found out Clark's secret last episode, and they're really using each other full advantage because he comes up to Clark and he says, "Aren't you like married to Lana in your imagination?" <laughs> Which I thought was such a great line, you know, because when you're so fixated on this one girl, it's odd to see, you know, Clark you know, flirt with other people, right? Yeah. So then we go to the Kent farm and Jonathan is, you know, cleaning his motorcycle, which I will give the show credit. It was established that he had a motorcycle back in season one. So, you know, because, you know, somehow Clark need to get on this motorcycle to, for that bad boy image, right? Yeah, we need the classic uh, Easy Rider Rebel yeah. shot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And hey, well, lucky for them, Jonathan has his motorcycle. So so he's cleaning it and, and they're talking and uh, the, the kids are talking and you know, Clark is, is late to do his chores. So I, I knew you would appreciate Uh-oh. this, Krauss. <laughs> yeah, got to crack that whip, Mr. Jonathan. Got to get that boy moving. <laughs> Got f- fence posts to to set up. Got to mow the lawn. Well, Clark shows up late, and I love what he says. He's like, "Dad, that'll take like two seconds," <laughs> which is so true because he has superpowers. Like, why why is everyone so concerned about? Oh, Clark, you're late to do your chores. So they have a little back and forth, and, and Jonathan sees that he bought the ring, and he's upset with them. And uh, Clark's like, "You said it was my decision to make," and Jonathan's like. It's because I assumed you'd make the right one. <laughs> so it's classic, <laughs> classic passive-aggressive parent-child conversation here. Clark kind of storms off, and Jonathan asks Martha, he's like, what is that about? And Martha says, I think our not-so-normal son might be going through some classic teenage rebellion. And, and I love what Jonathan says. This. He says, well, I think I like dealing with heat vision a lot better than that, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is funny. Hey, and, and buckle down, guys, because it's just getting started here, right? That's true. So we cut to our Lex Luthor plot. And Lionel has taken over the the Luther Mansion. He's completely like he's brought in basically the New York Stock Exchange. In the commentary, <laughs> Welling is Welling's like laughs at this. He's like, "What the hell's going on with your office, man?" <laughs> it's pretty funny, which is true, right? What you think of that? I still don't. I still don't understand what was happening for that one day. Well, they had you know business people running around doing business and, and like the scaffolding with like uh, stock market tickers on it and TVs and just you know it's biz- business was being had, cross it's business. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's, it's, that is true. It's like did did they really need to like doesn't this doesn't this mansion have like 70 rooms in it? Could he not have set up in like a room that was not Lex's main yeah. library? <laughs> Maybe it's one of those things is he he Lionel thought he was in a different room, but the but his associates didn't want to like second guess him or you know like tell him, oh, Mr. Luther, are you sure? Yeah, this is the right room. Oh, <laughs> yes, sir. Anyway, you know Lex comes in here and he's like, "What? What?" Well, he has a similar reaction. He's like, "What is all this?" You know, and Lionel's like, "Well, I lost my sight. You think you at least give me some dignity?" Right, right. He just kind of starts mumbling to himself, and yeah, and also in the, in the golf, Miller and. Low commentary. They actually they're kind of laughing at John Glover here, <laughs> the fact that he you know the, you know playing the blind guy. And they're like, yeah, you know we love John Glover and and he's an excellent actor and he really uh, found his footing with this. But uh, you can tell this is one of his first episodes being blind because he's just kind of like wandering around <laughs> waving the waving that stick around when he walks. It's just classic like you know 
acting 101 with like you're blind now here's a stick yeah. you know <laughs> but he look he reminded me of like a three blind mice skit you know you see like the, the cartoons like a three blind mice and they're all just walking around waving sticks around that's what he kind of looked like yeah. here and it was funny funny that they kind of pointed that out too they all had a good sense of humor about it but you know lex is kind of just defe- defeated at this point and he turns to like one of the one of the 17 people in this office doing who knows what <laughs> he's like uh, give him whatever he wants. So it's been established that Lionel's going to have his run of the mansion for a while. So, <laughs> so that's why they're setting up in the room. Yeah. <laughs> give him whatever he wants. Yeah, I guess whatever so. he says. More, more scaffolding in the middle of this room. <laughs> oh, man. So the next scene is the study group for Pete and Lana and Chloe and Clark. And, you know, this is this is one, if not the only time you ever see these kids actually studying for class. It's just <laughs> like I give him credit for trying, right? That is true. And then, of course, Clark shows up and wants to go hit the bar. Yeah, he's like, hey, uh, you want you guys want a beer? <laughs> well, I, I love how, uh, first of all, they're studying uh, the Red Scare, which is a nice, you know, uh, nice, you know, reference to oh, Red. And by the way, we have a plus one for our uh, episode title in the episode. Uh, so we'll add that to Ooh. our Smallville tally board. We'll get to that at the end here. But yeah, they say red several times in this episode. They said the red scare here. They said the red meteor rock here. So anyway, that's a plus one. Clark Clark has no interest in studying. None. He he's looking. To, he's just looking to party. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> being his smarmy self, and you know, kind of freaks Chloe and Lana out. So they like go to get some more coffee. And and Clark uh, Clark uses X-ray vision, doesn't he, Krauss? He does. He he peeks a little bit behind the curtain, doesn't he? Yeah, he's like, uh, I didn't know Chloe had a birthmark on her cheek. And Pete's like, no, she doesn't. Clark's like, not that cheek. <laughs> and he's like, you scoping out Chloe? He's like, not just her. <laughs> and then so he's clearly using his x-ray vision for evil. That's how we know he's really evil, right, Cross? Yeah, yeah. But see, this is why I'm glad that they chose to do this episode in season two now that Pete knows. You know, it made it made the scene a lot more funnier having Pete be like, what, what? You can't do that, you know. Try, tries to block his, his him from peeping. And obviously, that's not going to do anything. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I mean, this episode, I'm sure they like blocked out the season before. You know, obviously, they 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 sit down in the writers' room, they figure out what's going to happen when and stuff. But definitely, this episode could not have worked as well had Pete not known the secret. He's really integral to the whole plot, which is rare for Pete. You know, it's great to see now he knows the secret. He's he's in on things. They can do a lot more with his character, and there's a lot more interplay between him and Clark that way. You know, Jeff Loeb was talking about conceptually in, in his commentary what the original plans for this were, and they, they they had said they had some ideas of like you know Clark just walking through the hallway at school, but everybody was naked, and obviously they would have shot it you know tastefully, you know from like you know probably the shoulders up or something. <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's the WB. Okay, it's not Game of Thrones. <laughs> they decided that well, you know that's. On a couple levels, one, just the practicality of filming that with a bunch of naked extras. It's just kind of awkward. And then, <laughs> you know, but then two, it actually, it, it's a lot creepier when, you know, Clark's being creepy to people that you know. <laughs> so, and then, and, yeah. and, then, and then three, you don't have to see any special effects, right? It's like, yeah, oh, we can just leave it to your imagination. See, I, I still wonder what Chloe's uh, birthmark looks like. It's too bad we didn't get to see it someday. But uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> And we cut to the next day, and uh, Jonathan and Martha are, uh, you know, in, in the in the kitchen at the Ken household, and Jonathan's on the phone with uh, the credit card company. And apparently, there've been some <laughs> some erroneous charges on <laughs> on his card, which must have been quite a list of charges. <laughs> yeah, it's like how much? Oh, oh, two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> because we go so so we go to the barn, right? They they look out the window, all right, to to the barn, and they see a satellite dish. So they're like, oh, what's going on here? So they go over to the barn to investigate. 
And it is, uh, well, well, there's just stuff everywhere. Clark has bought, I saw, so, so I made a notice. I saw like an Apple computer. I saw a, a jet ski, a canoe, you know. <laughs> a silk shirt. I love how they added that in. Like he took the time to buy a silk shirt. <laughs> Sophomore again in high school wants a silk shirt. On top of the Xbox and the well, was it an Xbox? Well, I think it was. I was looking. I paid very close attention to this to see like what kind of video game is he actually playing, right? Yeah, I I tried looking too. I couldn't figure it out. Well, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a PlayStation or Xbox. I saw like colored looking controllers. It looked like a GameCube. I never had a GameCube, but based off my friends that did, it looked like a GameCube controller. Which, come on, Clark. Clearly, he's on drugs because who would buy a GameCube <laughs> instead of a PlayStation a shirt and then buy a GameCube? <laughs> Look, PlayStation, maybe an Xbox, oh, GameCube, would you like five? But anyway, <laughs> both commenters really, they make fun of all the stuff. They're like, look, that's a wave rider. <laughs> like, I think Rosa, <laughs> Rosa Bob says, why does Martha pick out the, the silk shirt when there's a wave rider right there? She doesn't say anything about it. Like, it just all kinds of stuff, huge stereo. And, and, and one of the more interesting points of the commentary with Goff, Millar, and Loeb is, is that they mention like the studio notes that they've been given. And they had to make a note of like, what time did Clark buy all this stuff? Because it was late last night, and then it's early in the morning, and he has all this stuff. So they actually, they added that line of, Clark, where'd you get all this stuff? And he's like, Discount Eddie's in Metropolis. It's open all night. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's where that line came from, which is funny. that Like, sometimes they pay attention to that kind of minutia, and sometimes they don't. So just that, I found that amusing. So I'm glad Discount Eddie's, you can get a nice silk shirt. Uh, <laughs> I, that's a good point. I, I wonder if he stopped at a different <laughs> store. Or, well, you know, you see, you see weird stuff at, like, Best Buy sometimes. And the point of sale, it's like, do, do I really yeah. need like a, a Dr. Pepper when I'm Best Buy? <laughs> you know, but yeah. like, a silk shirt is a little, it's just a rack of silk shirts <laughs> at the front. <laughs> What's a Dr. Pepper? <laughs> Have you ever bought anything like that? Like, like a soda at a Circuit City <laughs> or anything? <laughs> uh, maybe, I mean, back when Circuit City was around, yeah, That's I'm sure it did. <laughs> or soda or eight years Yeah, that. I know, at Circuit City, the Comp USA. <laughs> Well, that, you know, as silly as the discount Eddie sounds, I'm glad he didn't say like, you know, Circuit City because he'd be like, oh, Smallville, so early 2000s. Anyway, I guess he also bought a leather jacket because he puts that on, you know, and, and Clark is not oh, wearing yeah. his traditional blue and yellow and red. You know, he's wearing a green shirt. And one of the most insightful things I think Tom Welling said on the commentary cross, I believe it was red kryptonite, green shirt. <laughs> like, <yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Thanks for that insight. This is a great scene, though, with Jonathan. Like, Jonathan's, like, really pissed off at Clark. He's like, we're going to take all this stuff back. And Clark's like, oh, yeah? He's like, oh, yeah. And then, and then we're going to have a long talk about this new attitude you developed. So this is the first time they've really been having to deal with this guy, right? Yeah, it's a shame that they didn't tie in Jonathan. This, I know it would have been early, but it would have been funny if they had Jonathan die of a heart attack from looking at the credit card bill. That's... <laughs> That's that's the mythology we set up. But anyway, but no, yeah, he's pissed off. He's rightfully right to be so. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan, he has a temper, but it's completely justified in this episode, you know. <laughs> so Clark just blows him off, jumps out the window onto the motorcycle. All these shots are like iconic shots that they used pretty much for the rest of season two when they're promoting Smallville, like Clark on the motorcycle and all that stuff. He drives off and we cut to Jesse uh, walking to school. And her like dopey sitcom TV dad is following her in, in his car, trying to get her to come in the car. Uh, because so we established that something's going on with, with them because her dad's like, can't afford to have attention being drawn to us, Jesse, and whatever. 
But it just so happens that Clark takes the same road to school. I mean, it's Smallville. I guess maybe there's only one road to Smallville High School. <laughs> and, uh, he pulls <laughs> pulls up on his motorcycle, and uh, you know they they mention in the uh, in the commentary with uh, Goff, Millar, and Loeb that uh, Welling can't ride a motorcycle. <laughs> and, oh really? Actually, somebody I don't know which one of them says it. So it's like, so we're gonna mention then how Tom can't ride a motorcycle, <laughs> but then nobody really says anything. <laughs> So it, it does kind of ruin the mystique of like, you know, badass evil Clark here. But uh, but you can really tell, though, you know, especially I mean, look, back in the day, we're watching this on like four by three standard definition broadcast. Couldn't really tell the stunt doubles. But now I, I could really obviously tell, especially when they pointed out that Welling can't ride a motorcycle that, yeah, that's a stunt double. Whenever you see like a guy on the motorcycle and it's not like an extreme close up. Totally not Tom Welling. So keep an eye out for that next time. Well, you know, we're going to see him on a motorcycle, you know, later on this season. So I'm going to keep an yeah. eye out for that then. <laughs> so Clark comes by and, and uh, he, you know, offers Jesse a ride and she gets on and she's like, oh, my hero puts on a little helmet, which I thought was funny. There's a helmet he just happens to have. And this is one of those other things that Jeff Lowe brought up. Like, like this, like, yeah, we had to have some discussion with the network about like, okay, well, would he wear a helmet? No. Why would he? Cause he's invulnerable. And, but he has to have one if Jesse's going to get on the motorcycle. And even though she's a rule breaker, it wouldn't. And anyway, they, they somehow were able to compromise the fact that Clark would not wear a helmet. And they were actually pretty proud of themselves for, for being able to compromise. Cause I, I get it. You know, this is WB. This is on like at prime time. So kids are watching and they're going to say, oh, I want to go ride a motorcycle without a helmet like Clark Kent. But hey, he's a bad guy, kid. So don't do what he does. Right. So uh, Clark shows up uh, at school with Jesse on his back and all all bad to the bone. Chloe has a great line. Okay, what planet is that guy from and what did he do with Clark? So (laughs) funny because Clark's not from Earth. He's from Krypton. So but that was a nice little subtle, subtle wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I find this amusing that Clark is like he goes he steals his parents credit cards. He buys all this stuff like video games and not caring and all this. Uh, he's riding a motorcycle, picking up girls on the side of the road. Yet he's still gonna go to class. Like Clark, Clark barely goes to class when he's like good Clark, right? He's got to meet the ladies. That's that's true. When you're, when you're in your high, when you're in high school, the best place to meet girls is high school. <laughs> now, when you're not in high school, please do not <laughs> go meet girls in high school. Yeah, disclaimer. Yeah, so Jonathan shows up at school to stop Clark and you know talk some sense into him and. Uh, you know, he, he's ready to open up, as, as Alfred Goff put it, a, a, a can of whoop-ass on Clark. <laughs> and it doesn't go very far because Clark just brushes him off. And Jonathan says, I am your father, and I'm telling you to get in the truck. And Clark says, you're not my father. And he pushes him into the truck. So that's pretty extreme stuff. You know, I mean, I mean he, he's gone. He's gone past the point of just rule-breaking now and, like, physical violence against his parents, no less. Right? So that was actually pretty pretty dark thing to do. And you could tell, you just for a glimmer, just for a moment, you could see maybe Clark regretted what he did. But then he kind of shrugs it off and, you know, goes to school. Don't want to be late for first period chemistry <laughs> class. But interestingly enough, you know, this is, this is you know, quote unquote, bad Clark on Smallville. And he, he says the whole I'm not your father thing to Jonathan. Where else did we hear that, Krause? Didn't we hear that in another Superman thing we saw recently? Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> the movie I don't want to talk about, <laughs> I guess. Good old the movie I don't want to talk about again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say that, you know, all these feelings come from deep within Clark. So that's why it cuts Jonathan even more because he knows somewhere Clark thinks that at the back of his head. You know, when we see it in your favorite movie, Man of Steel, I think inevitably if you are adopted and I'm not adopted to my knowledge. No, I'm not. (laughs) uh, I'm not adopted. And, uh, you know, I don't know if any guys out there are, but I think inevitably at some point if you were adopted, 
and you're having an argument with your parents, you would totally say that to them, right? Like, you're not even my real dad, <laughs> you know? Or oh, even, yeah. Even a step-parent or, you know, something, or a half-parent or a half-parent. No, half-brothers and sisters, no half-parents. I guess every parent's a half-parent when you think about it. But anyway. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, no, I think that's, that's – these kids are high schoolers, and I'm not really sure how old Clark was supposed to be in A Man of Steel because he was still played by Henry Cavill. He looked a little younger. But, you know, I, I don't know, just because he was, like, wearing, like, a Royals T-shirt or something. He looked, a little, <laughs> he looked a little younger. I didn't know how old he was supposed to be, but he pulls the whole, you know, you got my real dad card on him there. So, um, so yeah, but, yeah, bottom line, that's Clark is it's escalating, right? The longer he's around the red kryptonite, the worse he's getting. So we cut the commercial, and we come back, and uh, the kids are uh, trying to reason out what's happening with Clark. And, you know, we see shirtless Jonathan, huh? How about that? <laughs> the lady's got to have something to look at. Well, well, uh, Al Goff said he's like, yeah, it's Smallville, so even the parents are hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the Martha Kent scene. Uh, I mean, where, where's what am I gonna look at? Have you ever seen a uh, cat people? No, no. So, to my knowledge, and I've never seen it either, but from what I heard, Annette O'Toole's in it, and uh, and there might be what you're looking for might be in that movie. That's all I'm saying. So, uh, okay, so you'll have to go look. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll put you on that task, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, I'll report back later. But you know, speaking of speaking of Annette O'Toole in the '80s, let, let's talk about this real quick. Uh, Superman three. She, she of course played Lana Lang in Superman three, and uh, you know that that is the the Superman movie where it's not it's not red kryptonite. It's it's tobacco like... kryptonite. <laughs> it was the '80s, so of course it was tobacco <laughs> kryptonite, right? Because you know Richard Pryor tries to make kryptonite and doesn't know all the ingredients. So yeah, it's. The more I explain it, the worse it's going to sound. But <laughs> there's an unknown element in Kryptonite, and they don't know what it is, so they put tobacco in it. And instead of killing Superman or making him sick, it turns him evil. You know, it, it turns into an asshole. Yeah, but as tobacco does, right? <laughs> you know, so basically, it's it's it's, it's a PSA for non-smoking in the '80s, right? Um, but there is a really unsettling scene in Superman three, and it's when uh when Clark is or Clark. See, I'm in my small boat now. I'm calling him Clark when Superman. Superman, right? He's he's in Lana's house, and uh, there's an emergency, oh, yeah. and she's like, "Oh, Superman, uh, there's a, a car accident." He's like, "Oh, it's fine. Let's relax for a while. They sit down." And, yeah. How you doing? Yeah, he's like, "So let's uh, let's talk." Yeah, and it's uh, no, no. There's a bus full of children about to die. No, 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 no. Let's uh, open a open a bottle of wine. Let's let's get to know each other. I mean, I mean, we're, we're laughing about it because it's ridiculous, but I will say, like, it's it's played really well. Like, it's a very unsettling, creepy scene. Chris Reeve, man, he's a great Superman, great actor. And Ed O'Toole's great, too. She is. So go check out Cat People. <laughs> you know, if anyone's, if, anyone's seen, <laughs> if anyone's seen Cat People, let me know. I've just heard either, like, it was either from my own father or maybe the internet. <laughs> Somebody told me about Cat People. <laughs> Not really sure what's up there, so so let us know, guys. But anyway, the kids uh, decided to talk to Pete about this because maybe he knows something because they, they're at a loss for words because obviously they thought it was just a little teenage rebellion, but it you know wouldn't happen this fast and it's really escalating too much. Let me cut to the talent and uh, Clark walks in and uh, I guess this is after school. I guess Clark went to his classes and you know got back on the motorcycle and jumped over to the talent. <laughs> uh, Lana's already hard to work because you know Nail's got a wedding to pay for coming up, so uh, Lana's got <laughs> to work extra hard at the talent. We get what is our first true kiss between Clark and Lana. Now, in the first season episode, Nicodemus, they kiss, but she was under the influence of uh, the Nicodemus flower. Then, of course, uh, her memory got erased in the episode, so it doesn't even really count. Uh, this time, both of them remember this kiss, but Clark was under the influence of Rick Kryptonite, which, by the way, we have a plus one for under the influence for this episode because Ding. Clark is, yes, thank you. Clark, Clark is <laughs> under the influence this whole episode. 
I, well, I don't know. I counted what I counted as a kiss. He remembers. He remembers. Yeah, he's under the influence, but he's acting on his own. Uh, there's an asterisk to it. Yes, exactly. That's really we got a Barry Vaughn situation going on here. So we have to, <laughs> actually, I guess he never had an asterisk. More Roger Maris. But point is, enough of the baseball analogies. <laughs> they kiss here, and it wow, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty steamy kiss, huh? It was. They went for it. As a young man watching this, I was like, well, I guess this is how you kiss people. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, on occasion, you know, it's like, why you don't need to eat my face? <laughs> you know? uh, well, even even the guys, even uh, Goff and and Miller and Loeb were kind of laughing about that. It's like just such a a face sucking kiss, you know. But it, there's lots of you know months of of unrequited passion here that these teenagers and have been built up. But yeah, it's just a pretty. This was look as a young man growing up, basing my life off this show. This was not the best kiss to base my kissing off of. But I, you know, I learned. I learned uh, <laughs> trial and error. Right. But uh, anyway, she is just like overcome with like, whoa, you know, swoon. She swooned here. And then he drops like, I'll pick you up at eight. <laughs> he just leaves classic, <laughs> classic bad boy. Right. So then Pete goes to talk to Chloe about, you know, what might be up with Clark. And uh, he says, look, the kids are worried. They call me. They think he might be on drugs or something. And Chloe, Chloe's line here is so good. She says, Clark would have to be on drugs to be on drugs, which is so funny. <laughs> so true. Right. But it turns out that, as she had speculated at the beginning of the episode, maybe these rubies in their class rings aren't really rubies. And, and by Ooh. the way, I had to point out, Miles Millar, is a, he's, he's British. He's not American. And, you know, one of the creators of the show. And he was talking about, like, the class rings and how, you know, uh, Goff and, and Loeb were all excited about it. He's like, class rings? What are you guys talking about? <laughs> like, he didn't even know what the, was a big oh, deal. Oh, it's not a thing yeah, over there? So I guess it's not a thing across the pond, which I thought was I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> he was like, yeah, class ring? Sure, whatever. You and your football with, you know, <laughs> helmets. <laughs> yeah. You're in your tea parties. But uh, anyway, Chloe has used her sources because, you know, <laughs> once again, 16-year-old uh, high school journalist has, has connections at every level of government. She finds out <laughs> that the that the ring company used some, quote, worthless meteor rock to put in the rings instead of uh, ruby. So, Krauss, what do you think? How, how worthless do you think uh, gems from outer space are? Uh, they've got to be so cheap to get, I would think, right? I mean, especially a red version of a meteor rock that's predominantly green, right? We have entire wings and museums dedicated to this kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> let's just, oh, God, rubies. Let's, let's just use some of that, that, that stuff that came from outer space. You know, it's like, <laughs> and they said it was, uh, they said they, they, they found it in Hobbes Pond. And that is actually a reference to Hobbes Bay in the, in the comic books. There's a, you know, Metropolis is, is New York. And uh, in, like, you know, in the Hudson Bay or whatever, Hudson River, uh, there's a Hobbes Bay, which uh, serves uh, there. So that was a nice shout out to the comic books there. So Pete kind of, he looks at his ring and he looks at the rock that he has, because Chloe had an example of, of a meteor rock with green and red strains in it. So he takes it back to the kids and they're like, okay, well, this must be what's going on. They reason that, you know, if green meteor rocks affect him physically, then maybe reds affect him mentally or emotionally. In the comic books, Red Kryptonite does all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, whenever Clark is exposed, Clark, once again, I'm in small of a mode, right? But, you know, whenever Superman is ex- is exposed to Red Kryptonite in the comic books, it always does something different to him. Uh, I know they talk about in the, in the uh, commentary with Jeff Loeb. He's like, yeah, the, I think one time that he aged backwards, one time his head got replaced with the head of an ant. <laughs> so just all kinds of crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff. And so they they decided to kind of write some real rules for the Kryptonite here. So I do want to add another category here to the small tally board. Uh, I'm going to call it Amazing Technicolor Kryptonite. Uh, So we have a plus one on that. And that's going to be 
waiting for your ding, Kraus. Oh, sorry. I'm sleeping on the job. Sleeping on the job, man. Whenever you're around, I add these points. You, <laughs> you always do your stupid ding. Just waiting. Um, so I'm going to call it Amazing Tactical or Kryptonite, which is whenever we get Kryptonite that is not green. So that's a plus one because this is our first instance of that. So that's, of course, a reference to Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Code. Have you ever seen that Broadway show? I, I have not. I'm not a big Broadway person, but maybe I need to check it out. Yeah, my high school did a version of that, <laughs> which I saw. And, you know, I've also, you know, read the Bible. So I'm familiar with that. <laughs> it's not quite the same. They, they, they take some creative liberties in the show, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's what I'm that's what I'm going to call it. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of more clever uh, category names as we continue on through the series. Well, here, so. props on that one. That's a nice one. Well, thank you. Thank you, Chris. So they at least know like what's wrong and kind of have an idea what to do now. But meanwhile, uh, Clark goes to the Luther mansion and two things. One, he, he's he's dressed here kind of like he's dressed as the Blur in season 9. I thought he's got this really long black coat on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he definitely looked like the the Blur, kind of the dark black trench coat kind of mysterious figure and uh, lex likes what he sees huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think in both commentaries everybody mentions this this kind of pervy look that lex gives clark when he's like literally checking him out obviously look clark's wearing a very wearing a very expensive suit uh or, or you know coat and, and lex is you know assessing that but it's just if you read into it, you know, it's it's really kind of funny uh, what it looks like. Both commentaries, they talk about, like, what is this Klex thing all about? Because, you know, a lot of fandoms, like, you know, this show is what taught me what shipping was, right? <laughs> like, relationshipping. Yeah. It's a thing on shows, I guess. Maybe just on shows that, you know, teenage girls watch. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway. <laughs> and on the internet, they combine these names this way. Like, Klex and Klana and Clark and all this stuff. So there's a lot of clecks going on and Rosenbaum was joking about it and, and so so are the producers. Like, I don't know where you get this stuff. And I think Welling even jokes the fact that the, the homoerotic undertones are very obvious. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it, it's funny. You know, you can tell that the cast really enjoyed... I mean, Kristen Kruick was... She wasn't really saying much. I felt like she was just more kind of overpowered by Greg Beeman's enthusiasm and Michael Rosenbaum's sarcasm, <laughs> you know, which was great. I, I love the, all the commentaries. So she didn't really have much to say, but there was a lot of back and forth between a Welling and Rosenbaum in their commentary. Because this, the, this is their first scene that we see them together in this episode. Uh, and I love that Welling, he was kind of throwing some shade at Rosenbaum for, for winning a Saturn Award. <laughs> he was like, well, <laughs> when you're working with a Saturn Award winning actor, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> because a Saturn, a Saturn Award, look, it's, it's a thing uh, that's gone, I think, from like the 70s, right? But uh, Rosenbaum won a lot of Saturn Awards for, for his part in Smallville, and I guess I guess, I guess, guess nobody else on the cast did. So <laughs> it's, it's like one of those deals, uh, because here in Texas, we have something called a, a Lone Star Emmy. Uh, so, so I actually know a lot of people who have won Lone Star Emmys in television. But when you say, yeah, I'm an Emmy Award winner, it's not like, you know, the Emmys that the layman yeah. would think of. Oh, the Emmys. Oh, that's awesome. No, you won a Lone Star Emmy. So it's, it's similar to like, hey, Rosenbaum, you won a Saturn Award. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like yes, it's it's cool to have won, but it's like nothing you you don't quite put it on your mantle. You maybe put it right above the blockbuster video. Yeah, award. you use it to like prop open the door in your office, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, no. Anyway, all, all jokes aside, Saturn Awards a legit thing. It's just it's just funny they kept bringing up the whole Saturn Award thing in Rosenbaum, and it was pretty funny. But this is a good scene between Clark and Lex, and uh, you know uh, Lex is kind of complaining about Lionel being there, and Clark kind of gives him some attitude. He's like, oh, just because he's blind doesn't give him the right to ruin your life, and. 
Like says, I, I wasn't aware a $2,000 coat came with a backbone, which is funny. So he notices the coat is like really expensive. Because I guess people with money or lots of money. I mean, we have yeah. some money. Well, you know. We're, we're, no, I mean, I work, in, I work in fine art when I'm not doing Smallville podcasts. And one of the first things that we were taught is, you know, you can tell by shoes and jackets how much someone's worth. So if, no one, if, if people walk in with no shoes, that's a bad sign. That's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, not it doesn't work. So you thought time, I was going to but... say jacket? See what I did there? That's comedy. It's comedy, <laughs> folks. Write it down. Write it down. Interesting. No, no, you're right. Uh, so, so Lex, being a, a cultured, you know, being from the cultured world of Metropolis, he can immediately identify like, oh, this is a this is a nice jacket, you know. Uh, so they they have a nice conversation there, and Clark wants to borrow the Ferrari. So I don't know if you were Clark, would you would you want to borrow a Ferrari? Like I would just stick with the motorcycle. What about you, Krauss? Yeah, or, or run. <laughs> I mean. Well, you know, he doesn't want to tell Lana his secret just yet. Oh, well, I guess, okay, in that context. Taking yeah, her out on yeah. a date, right? You know, Lex is like, I don't know, Clark. It's a, it's a very sophisticated piece of machinery. And Clark, you know, he throws some shade at Lex. He's like, well, it's not like I'm going to drive it off a bridge. <laughs> so obviously mentioning, uh, referencing the pilot. And I liked how they just kind of left it there. And so if you knew what he was talking about, it was like a really good line. If he didn't, it was like, oh, okay. So they didn't say, oh, you mean like the time I drove off the bridge and hit you, Clark? You know, I hate it when shows spell stuff out like that. <laughs> so that was a nice little subtle, subtle reference to, to the pilot. And then, of course, uh, you know, Clark leaves it with, what you have to ask yourself is, who's more responsible than Clark Kent? And then, of course, we cut to him, like, just roaring down the road, driving Whoa. completely irresponsibly. <laughs> and then, you know, we get, to, uh, we get to their first date, Lana and Clark's first date. And boy, do I feel sorry for Lana here. <laughs> because they have been, this has been built up for months, all this sexual tension between them, you know, unrequited love. And what do they do? They go to this stupid dive bar, the Wild Coyote. And <laughs> the, the commentary from Goff and Millar and, and Loeb, and I think Goff is the one that says this. He's like, yeah, if you, if you, can, <laughs> if you look at Clark's... Uh, what Clark's wearing here, you're going to think he wandered into a gay bar. <laughs> because he's wearing, you know, he was wearing this $2,000 coat, right? Looking very slick. Yet he walks into this bar and he's wearing like a, like a cut-off sleeve t-shirt. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's silly. And, and of course, Lana doesn't like it. It is not the best uh, locale for a first date. Like, I would not take a girl here for a first date. I don't know about, I don't know about you, Krause, but uh, Well, I don't know what the options are in Smallville. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was the best option. There's the beanery. Nobody's been there in a while, but that would be a conflict of interest. <laughs> don't, don't want to take Lana there. Uh, that's your competitor. Go out to Crater Lake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had some other op- he had some other talent there besides Lana. I mean, you got to keep in mind he was keeping his options open. That's true. You know, they run to the Jesse. He's like, "Oh, Clark, how about a dance?" And and Lana's like, "No, let's go." And there is a cool shot here where like they're both kind of holding Clark's hand. He's like torn between the two of them, and he kind of looks back and forth, and he's like, eh, "I can do one dance." And he goes to dance with Jesse and. They start getting all close, and she's like about to kiss him. Like, what is up with this girl, right? I mean, she knows that he's there on a date with this girl, and she's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I'm just going to hit on this guy anyway. So clearly, she's got what's coming to her, right? <laughs> <laughs> but Lana, like, she walks, she storms to the car. She's like, look, I'm leaving. He's like, oh, look, just relax. Get he, like, throws her $100 bills. Like, just get us some drinks. There's plenty of me to go around. <laughs> Which is so- <laughs> like, who are, you, who are you, Austin Powers? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, of all the times I complain about Lana being annoying, she's completely in the right in this episode. Like, she should have never talked to Clark again after this episode, yeah. much less the following week, right? Absolutely. So Lana storms off, and Clark tries to follow her and stop her, but then these these, these dude bros who've been hanging out at the bar who've been, like, checking out Lana earlier, they stop Clark, like, hey, man, I think she just wants to be left alone. And then and then Clark proceeds to go full Terminator 2 on this bar, right? <laughs> he really did. <laughs> 
It's exactly, it totally reminded me of that first scene in T2. He's like flipping guys over and, and somebody breaks a pool stick on him. And um, it's great. You know, he puts somebody comes at him with the bartender, comes at him with a baseball bat. He sets the baseball bat on fire with his heat vision. And uh, he's like, anybody else? It's like this scene, this clip, they use this clip in so much promotional material <laughs> for like the rest of Smallville's entire run. And uh, I think Al Goff actually commented on this. He's like, yeah, WB love this clip. They use it in the promo here. They use it pretty much for the rest of the season and even in season three. And I was like, yeah, they did. So <laughs> I'm glad they had some <laughs> self-awareness about that. It's, that's always fun. But, you know, it's a great moment because, like I said, Clark plays the villain very well. And he's very threatening here. Like, you know, he's choking a guy. He's throwing people across the room. You know, he's using heat vision on people. He's, he's a force to be reckoned with. And uh, But while this is going down, the uh, the bartender had noticed Jesse uh, from because you know way back in our you know we're losing track of this other plot but the u.s marshal that killed the guy with the boombox in the, <laughs> the beginning of the episode he's been trying to track down jesse so and he tracked uh he tracked their her phone call to that guy he killed to smallville and left jesse's picture with the bartender so he's like hey have you seen this girl you know Give me a call. He said, well, what should I call you? He's like, well, she's underage in your bar. <laughs> so that's the kind of leverage he has on him. So he sees, the bartender sees Jesse and obviously calls a, calls a U.S. Marshal guy while all this is going down. So that, that that plot is still going on in the background. So then Clark and Jesse run off. And I was, I was really hoping Clark, you know, grabs with sunglasses or something, put them on, bad to the bone would play. But they didn't, they didn't go that far. No. <laughs> with the references. Oh, man, I got to tell you, this is completely aside. Actually, this was so ridiculous. I actually took a cell phone video of it while I was waiting at a red light the other day. And I'll, and I'll post this. I was looking for an opportunity to post this or shoot it to someone, so I'll put it on the podcast, right? But uh, I'm sitting behind this this just stereotypical-looking biker guy on a motorcycle, and what is he playing? Bad to the bone. Like, <laughs> it's like, bad to the bone. And I'm like, dude, you're overdoing it. You're overdoing it. Uh, it's probably his first day at the bike. <laughs> it's the first day from the Harley-Davidson lot. He's like, yeah, bad to the bone. Just like Terminator 2. No, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, I, when I say overdoing it, I mean, like, look, when I go to the comic book store, I try to make sure I'm not wearing, like, a comic book shirt. You know, I don't know why. I just want to be like, you know what? I like comic books, but not that much, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> it's just, you're overdoing it, man. I'll, I'll post that video. Maybe you guys think it's, I'm being too critical. Well, yeah, I'm but... curious to see it, because, I mean, what's the point in playing music on a bike anyway? Can you really hear it? Yeah, like, I'm sitting in my car, you know, windows are up, and I'm hearing the music through all my windows, and this guy, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> anyway, so, I'm glad I could work that anecdote into our conversation here. <laughs> but, uh, Clark and Jesse go off, and uh, we cut to commercial, and we come back and uh, it's Clark at the farm. He's packing up his stuff. He's going to go run away with Jesse and start a new life and see the world. So he's uh, loading up the Ferrari. You know, the kids are really concerned about him. Like, hey, where were you last night? And Clark says, last night was the best night of my life. So let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> so he's with this girl and he has no inhibitions, right? What do you think happened, Krauss? Oh, I, I don't want to suppose anything, Zach. <laughs> I mean... What do you think happened? <laughs> they recorded a podcast, clearly. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think they would. They said, you know, what's your favorite TV show? Let's sit down. We'll talk about it. Uh, we'll put it on the internet. People listen to it. <laughs> yeah, so, look, it's established that Clark is a virgin up until season five. I agree with that. That's that's good. And, you know, good, wholesome, clean Clark Kent, absolutely. But this is like all inhibitions are gone, Clark Kent, right? And he's with this clearly... um. Just say loose girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm really surprised something didn't happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, so- you make a good point. Something definitely happened between the bar scene and 
load enough to move out. Right. So I think, you know, I think just on its own, I, I really do feel like that, that might be what, you know, Jeff Lowe was implying here, but I really couldn't flat out say it because, you know, Clark Kent is an American icon, has an image to uphold, right? And you don't want him, you know, sleeping around. He's, you know, 16 years, <laughs> 16 years old. And then what, what a way to, gosh, really? Come on, to this girl in this situation? Come on, Clark. Obviously, in the chronology of the show in the greater whole, Clark did not have sex the previous night. Let's just, you know, let's come out and say, we can say, this is a podcast. This is not, this is not WB at 7 o'clock Central Time in 2002. <laughs> this is a podcast, man. We're edgy. This is the 21st century. I guess it was then, too. But anyway, the point is, yeah, I, I think, I, I think if you, like, read between the lines, it's like, yeah, yeah, him and this girl had sex last night. But that's not what happened, and good for Clark. So they, the kids, they, they tell Clark, like, Clark, it's the ring. And he's like, oh, are you guys still upset about that? How pathetic. And he's like, no, 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 it's not the ring itself. It's the red, it's, there's red meteor rock in the ring, and that's what's affecting your behavior. And for a second, you think this is going to snap Clark out of it. And he's like, oh, I mean, everything I've been saying and doing is because of this? I wish I would have found it sooner. <laughs> so that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work. And then so he, he drives off. He's like, I'm just another piece of equipment to keep a little farm running, which is a lot of, you know, resentment on Clark's point. And this is all coming from somewhere. So you know deep down, you know, he's, he's, these thoughts have crossed his mind. So he drives off in his Ferrari. Stops by the mansion again to see Lex. Wants to borrow the Ferrari for a little longer. He tells Lex that he's 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 ditching town. There's nothing left in Smallville Farm. His parents don't understand him, and you know, uh, once the, he shows the world what he can do, that he might be richer than Lex. And this is obviously intrigues Lex. And uh, of course, so we wait a twofer here for this for this line. Clark says not only in this conversation does he say, "You have no idea what I'm capable of," right? <laughs> Which is just that Smallville bingo right there when somebody says that. Uh, <laughs> later on, he says, you have no idea who you're dealing with to the U.S. Marshal. I'm like, oh, my God, come on, guys. You can't put both those lines in the same episode. You know, like that line. So many people say that line throughout Smallville. Clark, Lex, Freaks of the Week. It's like, ah, so cliche. You know, Lex is kind of sad. He kind of picks up on what's going on here, although he's intrigued by, uh, by you know, Clark saying, oh, yeah, I can do all this stuff. And I'm going to Metropolis. And Lex is like, hey, the penthouse in Metropolis is empty. We can stay there. Maybe I'll go with you. And my father's taking over the mansion. He can have it. Let's go. Let's go. To, let's road trip, buddy. So they're going to go road trip. He's like, well, let me let me type a few things at the office and we'll be on our way. So Lex gets out of here. And, you know, part, part of you thinks, like, is Lex serious? Like, is he going to go run away with Clark? But he's savvy enough to see something's up with him. And he's going to go, you know, tell the kids, which he does. He goes, he goes, uh, Lex goes to the kid farm at this point. Jonathan and uh, Pete have a vague conversation that for a plan, which we don't get to see to the end. They want to keep it a secret. But, um, Jonathan really is not very forthcoming with Lex, but you know, Lex has come here to like help them out. You know, I think Jonathan would be a little more receptive. Like, I understand they need to keep Clark's secret, but they could at least not be such a jerk to Lex because he's always trying to go out of his way to be nice to the well, kids. But that's true. But Jonathan is dealing with a very large credit card bill, and so he's not in the best <laughs> of moods, Zach. But uh, to quote Mr. Lau, right, a phone call would have sufficed because why? <laughs> Why do you have to go? Why do you have to go well, to the to the farm? Jonathan probably would have hung up on him or not picked <laughs> up. I mean, come on, he wouldn't have willingly taken Lex Luthor's phone call. That is a very valid point, Cross. I well done, sir. Plot, plot hole solved. <laughs> plot hole closed. Well done. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, well, you know, the, the the real important thing here is Lex is away from the mansion for all the real business to go down. Clark is just left there by himself, and Lionel wanders in his blind self. Doing his three blind mice routine, and uh, <laughs> and and you know, Clark decides to have some fun with him. This is our actually this is our first scene between Clark and Lionel, believe it or not. Oh yeah, and this was this was a juicy. I mean, for me, I I, I really like this. I could see the potential of you know where this could go, especially 
you know, when you kind of get the, the, maybe the idea that maybe Lionel has a hint of an idea of something's going on with Clark. Right. And this is before they retcon the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> but to say that, oh, he knew all along or something like that. Clark just basically tells Lionel off. He's like, hey, no, nobody wants you in Smallville, so why don't you pack your bags and get the hell out? And Lionel's, you know, he's actually kind of impressed by uh, by this. He says, uh, you got a lot to learn about tact, young man, but you speak your mind. That'll take you far. So he kind of analyzes Clark right on the spot there. But, you know, as they're having this good back and forth, uh, the U.S. Marshal shows up because he'd gotten a tip from the bar like we talked about. And uh, he shows up at Luther Mansion. And in the cast commentary, they do make fun of the, the lack of security at Luther Mansion here, right? <laughs> yeah. Anybody can just walk right in. Well, they're probably busy moving rooms around and setting up you know, <laughs> stock true. tickers and whatnot in the bathroom. Business. Listen, Cross, the business of America is business. Okay. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Business Inc., Luther Corp., right? Uh, but which, by the way, we've this is our fourth episode now of, of Smallville Season 2. Of season two, of, you know it's Smallville, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they have yet to give us any update on like what is going on with Luther Corp, right? <laughs> like Luther Corp, the Luther Corp plant closed in the season one finale, season one finale of Smallville. Don't <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and well, apparently we got some mention of Lex Corp at the beginning of season two, but that's its own thing. And Lex says he's running his own company. So it's so convoluted. And, and I, I forget if we ever truly get an explanation for this uh, at some point. But anyway, who knows what's going on with all these guys. But yeah, that's a good call. People are too busy rearranging the mansion to, to be security. Um, so so the U.S. Marshal guy, uh, he basically uh, threatens Clark with information about where Jesse is. And Clark just kind of laughs off the gun, uh, super speeds it out of his hand. And then, and then Clark proceeds to shoot himself in the hand with uh uh to, to just show off to this guy it's like oh it's supposed to scare me so of course lionel's like what the hell's going on because <laughs> you know, he can't see any of this stuff that's the brilliant they have a lot of fun with lionel being blind in these early episodes right they they do but you would think though that he he, he can establish that the gun is being fired from the same side of the room that clark is speaking from <laughs> that's very <right>, true <laughs> a very good point there there is conversation of you know we never find out when lionel got his sight back because you know he he uh, spoilers Lionel doesn't stay blind the rest of the series he gets his sight back, uh, so people are like oh maybe he wasn't blind here you know and he, but I think just the I think he's blind here what about you? Yeah, it's I think he I think he it's not for another few episodes at least right because it's it's way too much to be happening yeah. here for him to be faking it. Who wrote this episode? Jeff Loeb? Oh wait, he did. He didn't resolve the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Typical, typical Jeff Loeb. Well, you know, well, that's not really, that's more retroactive continuity there about him. But uh, Lionel just kind of like wanders out at this point. He's like, oh, I'm going to go call security. <laughs> it's just a, weird, <laughs> a very weird cut. And that's what made me think about uh, the guys talking about the direction of this episode. Because I was like, yeah. yeah, they're right. Jeff Wool now did not have the, <laughs> didn't have the blocking quite right, especially in this scene. Just kind of, it's very awkward. Uh, so he wanders out to find those security guys uh, who are currently moving couches. This is a cool shot here where, U.S. Marshal guy gets pinned up against the wall with the uh, with the pool table, and uh, the uh, in the commentary for uh, Goff, Millar, and Loeb, they mentioned that yeah, that would have killed him. <laughs> He'd be dead. <laughs> so just, that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, okay, good. I, I don't feel so bad about the things we talk about now. <laughs> Hearing what they say about their own show, um, but it turns out this guy is not really U.S. Marshal. He's more of a bounty hunter. Because it turns out that Jesse's dad was like a whistleblower at some kind of, you know, 
you know, company and uh, he's on the run. He's in the witness protection program and they're on the run. And then this bounty hunter has been sent to find him in, in, the, in the computer discs, which we get to see later <laughs> that, <laughs> that all this, this valuable data is on. So the bounty gunner here, he basically tells Clark, hey, well, I'll split you 50-50. And Clark's like, you know what? That sounds like a great plan, but I don't need you. And he knocks the guy out <laughs> and goes against Jesse. He tells her, like, look, I know about your dad. I know about the discs. I want the discs. And Jesse's like, look, if, if I turn this over, my dad's a dead man. And Clark doesn't really care. Clark, uh, Clark has gone, like, full evil here. He's really his, his evil has really escalated, I feel, at this point. Yeah. he Well, now he's after something other than ass. Was that too too brash? You just did. Nothing we can do about it now. We're live. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think, you know, and Tom Welling said this about playing Clark. He doesn't really call him evil or bad Clark. He calls him his, you know, no consequence Clark, you know, which is an interesting way to play. Like he doesn't, he's not really going out of his way to like hurt people and stuff up till this point. No, as the longer he's exposed to the red kryptonite, the more it escalates. Yeah. Much like an addiction, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it all it all does make sense. Uh, because this this is really the point where he's really out to harm people. Now, I mean, he knows that, like, he, I mean, he starts trashing their house, you know, throwing the TV around. And, you know, it's 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 a pretty uh, effective scene. And, you know, seeing Clark in the suit and stuff really makes me think of, like, Tom Welling in age-appropriate clothes, I guess. <laughs> you know? uh, and in the, uh, in the commentary with Goff, Millar, and Loeb, they actually mentioned that, yeah, the next time we put Clark on Red Kryptonite, we were very conscious to not put him in, you know, business suits and, and, and nice and nice jackets <laughs> like that because it really betrays the fact that Tom Welling is really 10 years older than he should be. Like, he just looks like an adult here, right? He doesn't look like, it a, does. like a teenager. Like, you know, the, the plaid, like, laugh, say what you will about the T-shirts and the plaid shirts and the bad fashion, but that at least makes Clark look like some goofy high schooler uh, instead of like, oh, look, there's 26-year-old Tom Welling playing 16-year-old Clark Kent. So, uh, as you notice, he, he does bring the leather jacket back, but after this, like, red kryptonite Clark doesn't doesn't wear these these uh, Versace suits and $2,000 sports coats and stuff. But uh, as all this is going down, the bounty hunter has caught up to Clark somehow. <laughs> like, th- does Clark not have super speed? You know, I don't know how this guy woke up from being knocked out and caught up to Clark at the house. What did you think about that? <laughs> yeah, Clark was not in a rush to get to the money, was he? Well, maybe he was driving the Ferrari still. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe that was it. Uh, but yeah, you're right. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I just what they had to do, though. Right? The 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 bounty hunter, as we'll call him now, he had seen Clark use his powers, so he had to die. Like they mentioned that in the, in the producer director commentary. Like, yeah, well, he saw Clark's power, so he dies. That's how it works. That's how it works on Smallville. So there was a lot of discussion about. And Jeff Loeb was like talking about this. Like, okay, well, can't have Clark kill him and. What do we do about this? Because on the show, we try to make it so, like, if somebody dies around Clark, there must be some obstacle to have to have kept Clark from saving that person or something like that. Because they're trying to be, for all the people that die on Smallville, you know, and, and you know, I will say I do have that uh, faculty and staff and student death counter, and we're only at, you know, three between those two. So there's a lot, a lot less people die than I initially thought on this show. I'm glad the fact that they at least put a lot of effort into you know, Superman not killing. Because as we know, Kraus, Superman doesn't kill, does he? He does not. Not like Batman. No. Well, <laughs> Zack Snyder's Batman. Well, well Zack Snyder's Superman. <laughs> I mean, let's oh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, But also, so, so you truly think that Superman should not kill people? Not, not, well, no. Well, I'll say this, and let me know what you think. I think that, and I, I believe I've said this on the podcast before and this has come up, but my stance on it is this. Like, Superman 
obviously you shouldn't kill people, right? Like yeah, human beings. Yeah. That that's wrong. That 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 is wrong. That is wrong, kids. Uh, <laughs> but when he's fighting uh, monsters or or beings or alien supercomputers, right? I mean, he could kill Brainiac or kill Doomsday, right? Or kill you know whatever, right? Because because conventional means cannot stop these creatures yeah, right exactly uh, exactly but but that, but see that's why i don't mind him killing zod because zod cannot be in prison zod cannot be stopped zod will not stop until he is killed so like in the man of steel situation i know you have a big problem with it but i feel like you know in that situation that's all superman could do you know what i'm saying like what else yeah. could he have done right that's a good point so that that is why i think depending on like you know the, the circumstances superman is presented with he conceivably can kill people and not taint his heroism, right? But Batman should never kill people because because Batman is a human being, right? And his opponents are all human beings, and you can always find a way to incapacitate and capture human beings, right? Or if they're not human being, you can say Martha. <laughs> there you go. Had to get it in there. <laughs> so all that to say, <laughs> a tangent, right? The bounty hunter shows up. Uh, just to be killed by Jesse's dad. So that's all tied up nicely. Uh, so, yeah, so this, Rusev tied yeah, up. There you go, perfect. Uh, uh, so then all this is going on, so Jesse decides to run, but Clark keeps trashing the house, and he picks up Jesse's dad, and the dad makes a bad play here. He's like, you can kill me, you can tear this house to the ground, you'll never find those discs, and that gives away the fact that Jesse has the discs. So Clark super speeds over uh, to to find Jesse uh, and stops her dead in her tracks in a cornfield, and... Um, Knocks her down, and then uh, Clark gives her this, uh, gives her the people's eyebrow, you know, <laughs> kind of looking down at her. I love that. I've always liked that shot. Like, he just looks so, like, smarmy and evil there, and I love it. And so Al, Al, Al Goff said that the same thing in his commentary. Like, I really love that shot of Clark there because he, he's, like, all out evil here. And he rips open Jesse's purse, and he gets the, uh, the multicolored um, zip drive discs, you know, that the important industrial files are on, which is pretty funny. <laughs> rainbow, rainbow discs. But this is the age when IMAX were all different colors, so it was a fad in the early 2000s, right? Then at this point, Pete and Jonathan show up, and yeah. well, how did they know? How did they know they'd be there in this yeah. cornfield? <laughs> well, I love two things here. I love what Clark says. He says, "Would it take the whole study group to find me?" <laughs> Which is hilarious. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, Pete says, "Lionel Luther heard you mention Jesse," which is not. I don't think that happened. Like. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't bother to rewind and check, but I'm 95 percent oh, sure. That? Yeah, I'm like, that's your explanation. Oh, they should have just said they were hiding in the Ferrari's trunk. <laughs> that well, that's just as bad. <laughs> <laughs> They're like in the back, like, do you think can, is it safe to come out yet? No, no, we should wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the third time we stopped. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, they dropped the ball on that. Way to go, Jeff yeah. Loeb. Come on, man. Who is the holiday killer? Tell us. <laughs> Tell us now. But anyway. <laughs> so Jonathan is there, too, and Jonathan has this big sledgehammer. You're like, what's he going to do with this, this sledgehammer, right? But uh, then Pete breaks out the kryptonite. This is our first instance of the uh, that, that lead box. They always keep the kryptonite in, that, that handy-dandy, convenient lead box. You know, I'd, I'd be curious to see if I could go to like the hardware store and buy a lead box. <laughs> you know? Yeah. This weakens Clark. And uh, allows Jonathan to smash the uh, the ring with the sledgehammer. So, so Krauss, what did you think of this final confrontation and and uh, the resolution to this, uh, especially the just the way it looked? Very cheesy. 
a little overdone uh, for, for my taste, but uh, you know, I understand it's the WB at this point and they, they got to try to make it look cool. So I got to say here, uh, Neil Bailey from the Superman homepage and uh, his review, I usually don't read bits of his review until the wrap up here at the end of the episode, but I'll go ahead and, and read this part now because uh, in his review of red, he, he talked about this scene and I just, it's, it spoke perfectly to my feelings on it. So I just figured I'd read it. He put it best quote. I will now take a moment and comment on what you're probably all expecting me to comment on. The horrible, badly filmed, badly conceived, flat-out silly sledgehammer hitting the class <laughs> ring. One, the camera angle stank. It threw off what could have been cool special effect. Two, Clark was under the influence of kryptonite. The sledgehammer would have bent the ring and broken his hand, his wrist, and possibly his arm. <laughs> he was weakened, vulnerable. If he had been strong enough to survive a hit by a sledgehammer without damage... He could have ripped it from his father's hand. Three, he could have just collapsed and they could have taken the ring. It was a silly excuse to throw in a special effect. Enough about that and no more of it, please. So, well said. Yeah. Well said, sir. Yeah, I definitely thought I definitely thought when I first saw it so many years ago. I was like, wouldn't that have broken Clark's hand? But, well, it's, yeah. It's like they could not. It was, it was so staged. It was like, okay. Well, I guess he was trying to punch Jonathan, but he was like, <laughs> you know, the ring. <laughs> Terrible CGI is it shattered. Fight the power. <laughs> yeah, but look, if you shatter it, it doesn't like go away. Like, here's what you do. You take the, <laughs> you take the green curve tonight. Clark gets weakened. You know, he passes out or whatever, right? Or he gets so weak, you can take the ring off his finger. You put the ring, you put, you, you take the green rock out of the lead box. And then you put the red ring inside the lead box. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, but if you shatter the ring, it's still around, you know. And it, yeah, but... <laughs> it gets embedded in his skin. Yeah, and makes it worse. <laughs> we didn't think this one through, Pete. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, and you know, maybe once again, like I said, they were kind of throwing some shade to the director. That might be a reason that uh, Jeff Woolnow did not come back <laughs> on, uh, on another episode of Smallville. <laughs> because yeah, I mean, your episode is only as good as its climax, right? Because that's the last thing. That's what you're going to leave the episode with, and when it kind of leaves you, kind of like. It's awkward, it's cheesy, the slow motion, the even the CGI is a little dodgy, you know, it's all just kind of weird and I don't know, it's just it didn't yeah, it's just anticlimactic. So but uh but Clark uh in, in rare smallville fashion, someone actually remembers what they did. <laughs> so he does not have amnesia. Yeah. And they actually said, you know, it's very important for him to remember this stuff and as it should be, because I mean, you know, he needs to have, you know, at least some sense of accountability and, and perspective on what he's been doing under the influence here, right? Yeah. So we have a final uh, wrap-up scene with Lex and Lionel here. All the stuff has been moved out of the mansion. It's all getting put back the way it is, and Lionel's like, what? I, I didn't order anything else today. And <laughs> yeah, it all got moved to the bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> one of the other 70 rooms, right? Um, so so Lex is, uh, Lex is calling Lionel out on on uh, using his blindness as a as a crutch, basically, to uh, to have people you know take sympathy on him. In this moment here, you know, we were talking about, you know, was Lionel pretending to be blind or, or what he wasn't? But he says, uh, the way Lex phrases, you know, him calling out Lionel, he says, stop pretending you're blind. And I was like, oh, my God, he's been, like, he could see the whole time. He saw the Clark and the bullets. And I'm like, I see, you know. no, he continues on. <laughs> he says, stop pretending your blindness, blah, 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 blah. You know, gives you a right to, you know, you know, you know uh, take advantage of, you know, people's kindness. I don't know, something like that. So I was like, oh, for, for that one fraction of a second, I, uh, I thought that uh, they were going to call out Lionel for being blind. Yeah. Lionel, uh, he, he's impressed with Lex. He's like, well, uh, looks like I raised you better than I thought I did. Or you just took a lesson in directness from your friend Clark Kent. 
Uh, and he said, he's a very interesting young man. We see the Lionel has the bullets that Clark shot at his hand. Uh, Lionel is, you know, palming those in his own hand. And uh, so how, how do you think Lionel got those, Kraus? Well, he might have walked over. <laughs> I envision him just on the ground, like, walking on all fours, like, feeling around on the ground, and it comes across him. <laughs> but it's interesting. Remember, folks, that Lionel found these bullets. It's going to come into play way on down the line, but I'm going to reference this again, that these last our last known location of these bullets are in Lionel's pocket under his hand. So that's... Uh, it's, that's of note, I think. So we go back to the kids. You know, Clark's got to repair all these relationships with people, right? So he's sitting down with his family. It's kind of an awkward moment for a little bit, but the kids kind of patch things up between them, and they address the fact that these these feelings didn't come from nowhere. That you know, deep down, Clark does feel like you know he he wishes the kids had more, and you know, but that's very honest. You know, I mean, I think everybody, even the best of us, would have those feelings in that situation. And that's the kind of stuff that humanizes Clark, not making you know, not making Superman. Well, the way they make him in the <laughs> DC Extended Universe, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's a humanizing moment. And Clark's like, yeah, well, maybe it does bother me. But then I remember what's really important. That's family. And you're like, oh, it ties it all together. And, you know, the kids are all the family we all wish we had, right? That's the whole point of the kids. And Lex is the perfect example of that. That's the family Lex wishes he had, right? So so they sit down at their Norman Rockwell dinner there and hold hands and everything's all well at the Kin household. But uh, there's one last person Clark needs to go talk to. And it's, uh, it's Talana. So we get our final scene here of uh, Clark trying to uh, apologize to Lana. He has this really um, kind of awkward-looking bouquet. Like I, I would have gone a little further, uh, <laughs> gone a little further on that, Clark, if you're really, really trying to make a difference. <laughs> and, and like at each commentary, they all mention it. They're like, "Look at this half-ass bouquet." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she she's she's not impressed either. She says, "So you thought that if you brought me flowers, I'd just pretend nothing happened?" <laughs> it's like, "Yep, pretty much." And then, you know, isn't that how guys are? Isn't that how we are, Kraus? We're, we're men of simple minds. <laughs> I give Lana a lot of flack on this show for, you know, especially recently, to being like, oh, your lies and secrets tell me your entire life. Yeah, I deserve to know. Uh, that's annoying and not right. But here, Lana has every right to be angry at him. You know, he's like, oh, it wasn't me. And she's like, even the part where you said you have feelings about me, can't have it both ways. And she's got him there. You know? Yeah. He's like, can we just go back to being friends? <laughs> it's like, no, no. It's not how it works, man. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, I think Lana was acting perfectly reasonable here. Actually, what about you, Krauss? Oh, definitely, definitely. And and Clark is learning that you know you 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 have consequences for your actions. I mean, he even says, "I wish I could explain, but I can't." And Lana says, "Story of your life," <laughs> which is true. <laughs> so, so of all the episodes of these end scenes where Lana is mad at Clark, this is the one that was like most appropriate. You know, yeah. like this one I buy. This one's fine. Like I have no complaints here about this. And uh, and, and you can both tell, like, they both feel bad about it and they just don't know what to do about it because it is so, like, ridiculous. Like, imagine yourself in this situation on either side. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even know what the proper... <laughs> because he says, I'm sorry. She's like, well, I know you are, but that's just not enough. <laughs> she rides off. We get Oasis, Stop Crying Your Heart Out. What a great song, right? Yeah. Stop crying your heart out. On the WB's New Tuesday. Do you know what it's like to have to hide because of who you are? Yes, I do. A life of unspoken desire. A future that cannot be shared. I just want the truth. The truth is, I'm just a guy who tried to do the right thing. Isn't that enough? Smallville. Smallville. 
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brad, you got a 9.0 out of 10 on IMDb, which is a high score. Whenever we've been talking about this, whenever you get in the nines on IMDb, you know that you've made it. So, so definitely one of the highest rated episodes of Smallville on there. And then Neil Bailey from the Superman Hope Page in his review, which we cited a little bit before, we're talking about that very underwhelming climactic scene of the episode. Uh, he gave it a five out of five. So he was, really? he, was very, he was very impressed with it as well. Now it's your turn, Cross. What would you give Red on the letter grade scale? I'd, I'd give it a B plus. B plus? It's a, it's a, yeah, it's good, but the, I really think the, the mislanding of the uh, ending just kind of takes away a lot for me. Yeah. What do you think? It's, it's tough because I've, I'm on record and I don't really like the Red Kryptonite episodes. You know, I think I think for, you know, every show like this is going to have an episode where like, oh, something happened to the main character and he's out of character. You know, every every genre show was allowed one of those, right? But yeah. this is the one, right? This is the one they're allowed and they kept coming back to it and I just, every time they brought it back, I liked it less and less. But that's not this episode's fault. As a self-contained thing, it, it works very well. The climax is a little disappointing. Um, so just an execution more than anything else. In concept, I think it's solid. But in execution, it just does not yeah. translate very well. So I, I'm going to go. I'm going to give it an A minus because I really did enjoy it. But I'm, I, there's certain things that keep it from being, you know, a solid A. So you know, we're around the we're around the same ballpark there. Uh, B plus from you, A minus from me. So then one final bit of business to attend you here before you wrap up, Cross. We have our series tally board. So this week we have, in addition to our under the influence category, that's a plus one. So we are now at seven because Clark Kent was, of course, under the influence of red kryptonite this week. And then also that makes a new category. As I mentioned, the amazing Technicolor kryptonite category we're going to add. We have a plus one to that. It's our first addition to that category uh, because our first instance of a kryptonite, which is not green. So, you know, if, if we had a counter of kryptonite that was green on the show, there's no point, right? I mean, it'd be better <laughs> to count episodes that don't have kryptonite. In fact, maybe I should have done that. I don't know, but I didn't. So life goes on. Say la vie. Uh, yeah, do it yourselves, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we have one last category to add to an existing category. Episode titles said in episode red is said several times throughout this episode, and we're going to be at eight now for the series. So eight episode titles said in episode so far. 
that's going to be all of our categories. But one last one last uh, thing we always do here at the Bechtel Test. Unfortunately, this episode fails. It does not feature any scenes between two women talking about something other than a man. Oh. Uh... You know, we have our scene with Lowy. Lowy? Lowy? <laughs> Clark's ideal woman, Lowy. Um, or, or uh, God, what would the reverse of that be? Klan? See, it doesn't work. They need to do something. Chloe <laughs> and Lana have their scene, but they're talking about they're talking about Clark. And uh, that's, by the way, on the commentary, that's a hilarious scene, especially uh, on the uh, one by uh, Goff, Millar, and Loeb. They're talking about the blocking in that scene and how Lana, if you, if you watch that scene, Lana is like putting cookies on one plate and then putting them on another plate and then just doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And they're joking about like the health, the health standards of the talent must be low. And it's just funny. The poking fun of that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, those are, you can't just touch those and sell them. Like, (laughs) so it's funny. They're they're, They have a good sense of humor about the show, which once again, made me feel better about the the way we talk about it on this podcast. So, (laughs) um, and then you know, I, and I really am glad that we listened to the commentaries. Omar Nunez actually sent us a uh, <laughs> sent us a tweet about this. He says, "Since your next episode is read, I suggest you listen to the cast commentary. So good and awkward if you never heard it." Now I actually hadn't heard it. In fact, I hadn't heard I hadn't heard any of these commentaries for whatever reason. I never I never listened to the commentaries at the time, but uh, you know, because I was I was just so plugged into everything online with small like Krypton site, our friend Craig Bird's site, Krypton site. If you haven't been there, check it out. Your number one source for Smallville news. And, and Supergirl as well. In fact, all things DC Comics television right now. So go check it out. KSiteTV.com, CryptonSite.com. But, uh, great site. Great site. Great site. So I just never listened to the commentaries on these DVDs. I mean, I get them and stuff. So that's why it's been fun to listen to these for the first time. But uh, So Omar goes on to say, uh, be sure to mention Rosenbaum's butt comment. I laughed so hard when he said that, followed by silence. And <laughs> it's true. So Because we see, uh, <laughs> because <laughs> at the very beginning of the episode, when uh, Jesse and Lana walk off and Clark... Uh, Clark has just been uh, got his first taste of red kryptonite. He, he the, the shot kind of lingers on them walking off and like on their butts, and he's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, the butt shots." <laughs> and no one says anything, <laughs> but it's so true because there's a lot of those in Smallville, and it was pretty funny. Of course, Michael Rosenbaum, who better than to point that stuff out, right? Yes, he, he's just a funny guy, and it just shows you. And I don't know if you guys haven't seen any like behind the scenes stuff with him. It, it's hilarious, and uh, it just shows you what a good actor he is. Because he's a goofball. Like, he's like one of us, man. You know what I mean? He really is. Anyway, I'm glad we listened back to the commentary. Lots of lots of insightful stuff there. And uh, like I said, guys, I know Smallville's on Hulu now. But if you want all these, you know, special features that you're not going to get on streaming media, that is the reason that physical media still exists. Well, Kraus, thanks for uh, joining me again on this uh, very special episode of Always Hold On to Smallville. That's right, kids. Don't do drugs. <laughs> 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 on a very special Smallville. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I... It was completely lost on me at the time, but good points made by all <laughs> on the on the drug metaphor for Red Kryptonite. Yeah. So if people want to find you, Kraus, on the internet. Where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Papakin as my Twitter handle. That's going to do it for us this week on Always Holding the Small. But we'll be back next week talking about Nocturne. But until then, always hold on to Smallville. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Always Alone to Smallville is part of the Always Alone to Network of Podcasts and brought to you by listeners like you. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash alwaysmallville with one S. Hope to see you there. Always Alone to Smallville's theme music is by Lance Laster, and our podcast art is by Tom Gerke. You can follow us on Twitter at alwaysmallville with one S. You can find us on Facebook at Always Alone to Smallville, and you can send us an email at alwaysmallville at gmail.com. Once again, with one S. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.